Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you don't go to geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling! Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything! Welcome to Real GM Radio. I'm Daniel Guru, your host, and so happy to have you with us. This week's guest is Ed Mazinette. He is writes for Slam Magazine. He's the editor-in-chief of the Sports Fan Journal, and he does some writing for SB Nation as well. Really liked having him on because of the timing. We talked about the Oklahoma City Thunder, which are his NBA team, because he's from Oklahoma, and where they're going. Uh, the overall Western Conference playoff picture, Who, who's dangerous, who's not dangerous, as well as other topics like the Warriors, and just kind of where the league is looking right now. And then finally at the end, we get into the first weekend of the NCAA tournament, which was absolutely incredible. It was good to have him on. He he and I both watched a lot of it, and it was good to get his take on that. Conversation runs about 35 minutes. Always enjoy having him on and particularly like this conversation. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, my brother. Good to be back. Yeah, so I wanted to start with your NBA team, the Oklahoma City Thunder, and it's been an interesting stretch because Durant has been playing fabulously, but the team is slipping a little bit behind the Spurs. And I was wondering how you reconcile those things. I reconcile those things with a couple of easy things to point out. I think that people have largely overlooked the importance of uh, Tabo Sevalosha and Kendrick Perkins, who, uh, let's be clear, those two people are always in our in Oklahoma City starting lineup, not because they can score 30 points a game or get 15 rebounds, but they are there to play defense. And largely, over the last month or so, I mean, Oklahoma City's perimeter defense has been horrible. I think in their last five, six games, I think they've given up 10 plus threes to the opposition. And what's happening is, with Tabo ability to kind of anchor the perimeter and to keep the rest of the unit in line. Um, People are scrambling, the communication is poor, and Oklahoma City's paying for it. So I think a lot of people have felt like it was okay to just let's blame Russell Westbrook. And I think that they are having to play through his rustiness and then another injury scare. And, you know, like that dynamic is very different when he's not there. And you know, they've been really good with them, but they've been really good without him. And the other part about the Tabo injury, and we've seen this with the Warriors, is that 
and he's even been there so much longer, is that it changes everybody's assignments in a way that takes them out of their comfort zone. Right. So not only are you asking guys to do something different than what they've done, you're asking them to do something that was different for a reason. Usually that they, they're asked to do more and do something harder. And that's something that's hard for teams to adjust to in season. Right. And I'll say this, too, about Oklahoma City, and you're starting to see Scott Brooks shorten up that rotation. I think Jeremy Lamb got his first DMP of the season this year. Perry Jones' playing time has dwindled significantly. I know Steven Adams and Andre Roberson are getting starters uh, minutes. They're, well, they're not getting starters minutes, but they're starting. But they're not finishing games. Derek Fisher's getting plenty of playing time. Karan Butler, ever since he signed, he's been playing 30-plus minutes a night. And I've got to think when Tabo and Perk get back, um, you're going to see Adams and Roberson's minutes also decline. So, I mean, you're looking at Oklahoma City trying to round out their rotation while getting Westbrook healthy, while still getting Butler set up within the system as well. And I think it's a lot on Scott Brooks' plate. I, I think this is that would be a lot for any coach, be it Phil Jackson, Greg Popovich, or Doc Rivers, or whoever. And it's not to say that Scott Brooks can't handle it, but he's going to earn his money. And when the playoffs begin, it will be fascinating to watch who they match up against and how Brooks chooses to execute when that time comes. In terms of choosing to execute, what do you expect the final game lineup to be when everybody's healthy should that happen? Do you think Tabo's going to be in and Butler's going to be out? They go to a smaller lineup? I think it will be very matchup-driven. What's fascinating, and this is the scariest thing that has always been on my mind since the beginning of this Thunder season, is that Derek Fisher is the best spot-up shooter we have when Russell Westbrook or Kevin Durant kick out to open shooters for three. That is terrifying. And Derek Fisher has thrived in the role. I mean, the man is 238 years old or however old he is. They've largely lost confidence in Jeremy Lamb to perform in that role. Um, so I think when they need shooting, you're going to see Fisher out there. And I hate to say it, but he's deserved it. Now, outside of that, I think the next logical lineup option is going to be playing Russell Westbrook and Reggie Jackson together. Reggie Jackson played phenomenally. Uh, last night in the lot, the overtime loss versus the Mavericks. But the Westbrook-Jackson relationship has been a steadily improving one. And I think anytime you could put those two guys on the floor, you have Ibaka and Durant, and then that fifth person is just going to be dictated by what team are we playing? Are we playing a big team? Okay, we need Perkins. Are we playing a, a team full of perimeter players? Let's get Tabo out there. Do we need to score? Let's put a third shooter out there with Fisher. Um, and then I think Butler will fit into that mix somehow, some way. So they, the good thing is they have options, and I think this is probably – you know, the last couple of years, they've really struggled because they didn't have options. And now they have a bevy of them. And it's going to be up to Brooks to choose which one to use at which time. And I also think that Steven Adams is going to be more effective when you ask him to do a lot less. I think he could be a really nice 10 to 14 minute a game playoff player. I think because he can't, well, I'm not going to say he can't fell out in 14 minutes because he certainly can. <laughs> but it'll reduce some of those negative effects. I think the Warriors actually have had an interesting thing with that with Draymond Green because it seems like he's still fouling a little bit much when he gets time. But there are certain guys that can benefit from smaller roles and certain guys that get worse. And it'll be interesting to see how some of these guys who they're, they've had a lot of fluctuation to see how that works out for them. I agree with you 100%. So as of now, assuming that the Spurs do what they always do and take care of business, it looks like we would get an Oklahoma City Clippers first round. What would you think of that potential matchup? 
would that be first round or second round? What? That would be second round. Second round. First, okay. First round. First round would be against you know Portland, Memphis, you know one of those teams. I'm thinking Oklahoma City will get by them. Maybe Memphis would be the toughest. Every, nobody wants to play Memphis. I think everybody always speaks about Golden State and, and some of those other teams. I'm telling you right now. I have no desire to see the Memphis Grizzlies in the playoffs. I just don't. So, yeah, barring that being an issue, if you're asking me about the Thunder and the Clippers, then, I mean, this has the chance of being one of the top five. I, I hate to say, hate to just pull out the top five to try to rank something that hasn't even happened yet, but it's going to be a damn good time watching Oklahoma City and, and Los Angeles square up against each other. It's been fascinating to witness Danny Granger basically come in and be mildly effective for the Clippers. Now, we still have a lot of time to witness to see if that's going to sustain itself or not. But he's been able to provide something that they don't have, and they've largely lost confidence in Jared Dudley. They're scrambling to get uh, J.J. Redick back for the playoffs. But, I mean, if you watch some of the sets that the Clippers run out there, they're basically running Granger at the two, which is kind of sort of terrifying. Right. And to see how Oklahoma City is going to match up with them. I'm, I'm always intrigued to see how Oklahoma City's bigs do against Los Angeles's bigs, because you have Blake and you have DeAndre. And, you know, I think we've always felt and I say we because Oklahoma City, but Oklahoma City's always felt that if we have Perkins in there to help anchor the bot, the, the front court then everything else falls in place. And we could put Kate, we could put Durant off on the perimeter. We could let Ibaka switch up on Blake. We could put Parkers off Blake if necessary. And we have enough front court help to do that. But now they've got Big Baby to help, and that's intriguing and slightly concerning. And, you know, they just got so many roster options. So it's going to be an ultimate game of chess. And, you know, we'll see if that series gets that far. But I also am concerned to see what Doc Rivers would do in a coaching battle against Scott Brooks, because I think Doc Rivers is better. And I think Brooks has come a long way. But they've got a couple of things up on Oklahoma City that could really make a difference in a seven-game series. The other thing that could linger in a possibility like that, beyond health generally, is J.J. Redick, because Redick would be a really useful piece for the Clippers to have in that series. And I think that it's been interesting that his not being out there has enabled Granger to get a bigger role, which actually could help them in the postseason. But it seems harder for me to imagine the Clippers winning against a good team without somebody like that who's reliable offense. And he fights pretty hard on defense, too. Right. Well, and again, I think it depends on what's Doc's next chess move. If he goes big, then can Granger and Barnes and those guys keep up on the perimeter? Or are you going to sacrifice Jamal Crawford and let him get, you know, lambasted defensively? Or are you going to do what they've been doing and putting Chris Paul and letting Collison play the two? I mean, dear God, do you want that that lineup out there from a defensive standpoint? And we've seen Chris Paul's ability or inability to be a three-point shooter has largely declined and they're basically hoping at this point that like you said reddick can come out there and stretch court jamal crawford can go out there and stretch the court i think if i'm the clippers i i actually this might sound crazy but i actually think the best option would could potentially be to try to outflank and outscore oklahoma city if you could get Reddick and you can get Crawford and you could maybe put Barnes, give him some time stretch for or keep Blake out there and just run. Because I actually think that that might be um, when you start talking about needing to rotate to cover the three-point line and moving the ball and peeping shooters out on the floor. I think that's where you hurt Oklahoma City the most because they react 
so quickly and so well that, I mean, they end up exposing themselves on the back end. That's just my personal opinion. I don't know if they'll do it, but that's my opinion. And also, a concept like that would take out some of what Serge Ibaka does best defensively, because if you're mostly staying on the perimeter, then his ability to react and force bad shots or alter shots is, is a much smaller factor. Exactly. And that would be really interesting. So, thinking bigger picture, if you're Oklahoma City, of the teams in the Western Conference playoff picture, who would you most want to face and who would you least want to face? And let's say what in whatever round. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think in the first round, it, it might sound crazy just based off of what happened, but I would feel much more confident facing a team like Dallas or Portland in the first round. Honestly, anybody is better than Memphis. I'd rather play Golden State, personally, than Memphis. Um, I just think Memphis is built for the postseason. They're, they're built to play half-court basketball on an offensive and defensive side, and they've got guys that can D you up. They've got Guys that if they get hot, like if they get if they get hot and they get shooters to actually make some threes, the Memphis then becomes terrifying. And we've seen what Memphis has done in the past, being an eight seed, taking out a one seed in the Spurs. So I have no desire to see Memphis in the first round. I think it will be interesting to see what happens with Houston and the Clippers and where they seed out on the three line versus the four line um, and the five, because there's a scenario there that if Houston is the four seed, that I would take Houston to beat San Antonio. I would. This is what's going to make it fascinating because San Antonio is clearly the best team in the West, but if they get the wrong matchup, I think I think if the Clippers got the Spurs, then I would take the Spurs easily. But if I see the, Clip, the, the Rockets in the Spurs, I think they're in trouble. So Oklahoma City could end up facing a three seed. I mean, it could end up facing a four seed or a five seed, depending on who, how the playoffs break out. And Oklahoma City has to get to the finals. Nobody has a cakewalk. There are scenarios where a first round upset could happen, a second round upset could happen. Like the, you know, if Oklahoma City gets to the playoffs or not, finals or West finals or not. So. I don't know, Danny. I'd actually be curious to hear what you think because I'm, I'm actually just trying to avoid it at all costs. I'm just closing my eyes until we actually get to the playoffs. What I think is most interesting about the West this year, and this goes one to nine, so that includes whoever misses in that last spot, is I don't think any of these teams need to be particularly concerned that they might have to win an extra game on the road. None of these teams are sitting there going, oh my God, I have to beat this team, and, and if I don't have home court, I have no chance. And that's really interesting because there are teams that have good home courts in this. And the, the other thing to me is that I think that the Spurs are a very good team, but I also think that there's a shockingly large number of teams in this playoffs, and nobody's talking about this, who are not scared of the Spurs because they've either played them close or beaten them in a playoff series. Memphis is not scared of the Spurs. Right. Memphis is not scared of the Spurs at all. Oklahoma City, the last time they played them at full strength in a playoff series, they won the last four games and made it to the finals. The Warriors, as crazy as this sounds, they played the Spurs the best of any Western Conference team. Granted, injuries and a lot of other things affected that last year. And so I think that while the Spurs are amazing and they're a really good team and we've seen what they've done against the Western Conference despite not playing their best guys all the time, it's it's a remarkable thing, Popovich I think should win coach of the year just because the ability to succeed with his vision is incredible. The fact that they could end up with the best record in the league, despite saying, as they did, I covered them against the Warriors, basically saying, we sit our guys when we want to sit our guys and we don't care who we're facing. To be able to have the best record in the league against teams that are trying every night with all of their weapons is amazing. Right. But I agree with you that there are certain teams that certain teams don't want to face 
And it's the other part of it is Houston is the team with the highest variance. And what I mean by that is that when they're on, I think they're the hardest team to beat in the West. But when they're right. off, anybody can beat them. They can lose to they can lose to teams that didn't make the playoffs in the East without too much trouble. And so that's a really fascinating development for me in terms of the West because basically they're going to be their own barometer. I don't think that anybody really knows what they're going to do. And so you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh well, if Houston played this team in the second round, you're thinking, I have no idea if they're going to make it that far. Because they could do that, but at the same time, I could totally see them making the NBA Finals. And I, I don't know, I don't think we've ever seen a team that had this high of a high with the lows that they do. And I think a lot of that comes down to their defensive energy fading back and forth and Dwight Howard being one of the less consistent great players in the league. Yeah, that I, I agree with you on the, the variance standpoint. I think if you're talking about who has the highest level, I think it's Oklahoma City and Houston. I think if... Oklahoma City and Houston, they play their A game, you're not beating them. I mean, as far as the West is concerned, I think Miami's the only other team in the NBA that you think if they play their A game, their A-plus game, it's going to be hard to beat them. And, yeah, I mean, Houston, it's going to be interesting to see what Houston looks like in the playoffs this year. This is the first time that they've had that core unit of Harden and and Howard together. And I think they've they've still got – They've got roster issues. I mean, like, I still think it's interesting how they use Beverly to start. They leverage Lynn off the bench. They use Asik uh, on occasion. Um, and they're really still out there with a bunch of mishmash guys playing that those three, the minutes of the three and the four. I mean, Parsons does a good job, but, I mean, they still have, you know, Frankie Garcia and Terrence Jones and, you know, some of those guys. And, um, you know, you know they're just dying to upgrade some of those areas maybe in the offseason, <clears throat> Mello. But they're, t- they're terrifying. And I think the other team to talk about, too, is still Golden State. And it's funny because everybody's trying to get Mark Jackson – up on out the coach's position, which is which is hilarious to me because this is a man that is about to take Golden State to consecutive 50-win seasons for the first time since Chris Webber was a rookie and Latrell Sprewell and Chris Mullen and Tim Hardaway were doing things in the Oakland Coliseum. And yet they're trying to get them on out of here. And Golden State, whoever they get matched up on, we saw what happened when they played Denver last year. And this team is better than last year's team, I think think at least from a talent standpoint they are they might not have as much chemistry and they might have bigger gaps i would say but that doesn't mean they aren't capable of beating anybody in the league in in the west and i think they're capable of beating any team in the seven games and now is it likely to happen i don't know how likely it is but i'm still i'd be terrified to play golden state if they're hitting on all cylinders too Yeah, that brings up an excellent point. And the other part about Golden State that's interesting that I think is going to shift with perceptions is that this is a defensive team and defense travels well. So as long as they can bring the effort and they're healthy, because without Bogut or without Iguodala, a lot of that falls by the wayside. But the big question for me with Golden State is the rotations and the offense, because we've seen that this offense is too inconsistent. I think that relates to play calling. I think that they don't ask Stephen Curry to do enough in that sense. I think he, what they basically do is at certain points they say, you know, do whatever. And then, but the best points are when the offense is, when the ball is moving and everything like that. But Jackson, and I, I guess it comes from him. It could come from the team on the floor. They've never made it clear. The other big question is 
why does it bog down so much into isolations and things like that? And if they can clean that up or if just being in the playoffs and the intensity says, okay, let's put the ball in Steph's hand and let him run, they can beat anybody in, in the West or in the East. Well, I thought that was the biggest concern when I saw them bring in Iguodala because the sell was, oh, he can be another primary ball handler and he can facilitate and this and that. And yeah, Andre Iguodala can't do all those things, but he's still is not a point guard. He still does not have a point guard mentality. And that was what made losing Jared Jack interesting one. Because as much as people love to hate Jared Jack, the one thing he could do is he could penetrate to the rim. He knew how to dish the ball out and get the ball moving. Now, if you got his if he got the ball in his hands at certain parts of the game, he wasn't coming off the ball. But Still, when he was able to do it, it worked out great for Golden State. It's been interesting to watch Steve Blake in basically a Jarrett Jack-like role, and I thought he's done an admirable job. But there are things that he that he just can't do certain things that Jarrett Jack did. Now, I do think he's more consistent of a player, even if that's at a moderate level. Still, like they missed that dynamic, and it'd be interesting to see what they do in the offseason if they actually try to go acquire a, a higher caliber point guard. Now, the point that you made about Golden State and defense, well, I think the fascinating thing has been their use, like you said, of Draymond Green versus David Lee and hearing even some of the comments coming out of the, you know, after the game and, you know, at practice and things like that and how basically there's a sentiment that, you know, Draymond's playing more because David Lee's not doing what the team needs him to do from a defensive standpoint. Now, we all knew David Lee was terrible on defense, but to hear those types of rumblings now coming even from the players is is fascinating as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, everybody's had these desires to see Harrison Barnes traded and maybe David Lee traded. The the chances they had to trade Harrison Barnes when his value was high have long gone. And I don't know what you could get for Harrison Barnes in an open market. But at this point, they've got to at least try to push all their chips in and try to maximize everything they can get. And I've actually been of the belief that maybe they should even let David Lee come off the bench. And I know that that's probably never going to happen, but I think it would give them a balance of their lineups, especially when their bench continues to struggle in the the way it does. And then at least with Draymond, you'd have another facilitator on the court, even if he is a spotty three-point shooter. I agree nearly completely with everything there. It's been frustrating for me because one of the other factors in everything is that Draymond over the last two years, but particularly this year, has been a much better offensive player when playing with Steph, which isn't surprising because Steph Curry makes other people better offensively. Right. But when he doesn't have a facilitator, he drags and he takes more bad shots because they're there. And so if you get him better opportunities, and he's also a very good passer. Right. So if you get that sort of accountability, it works a lot better. And the other part of that that's been really frustrating for me is that in terms of the rotations is that while Iguodala has been out for the last three games and he might be out on on Friday, we don't know yet, is that the natural fit there is to slide Draymond in to fill the Iguodala role because he's a more natural fit defensively, offensively, and all that. But instead, Jackson has tried to put a square peg in a round hole and tried Harrison Barnes there, and it has been a pretty magnificent failure. And I think that I, I feel bad for Harrison because I've covered him. He's a nice guy, but he had this stretch, I, I wrote this when it happened, that he had eight quarters where he scored zero points. Not like eight quarters over the course of a couple games, eight consecutive quarters. Right. And when you're playing with Stephen Curry, when you're playing with partially Andrew Bogut and David Lee, there are shots that come around. And what he has to do is in some ways offensively, he has to go back to the drawing board 
And this has to happen over the summer to figure out, okay, how can I succeed against professional talent? And he can do it. He has the talent to do it. But the problem is Mark Jackson's job is to win basketball games this season. His job is not to win basketball games next season. And, and he knows that. Obviously, you've seen the pressure everybody has. And what's interesting to me in terms of his judgment is that if you know that your job is to make the playoffs and win playoff games, that would not fit together with playing Harrison Barnes more minutes than Draymond Green and playing them the way they're doing it. So that makes me question where this is going in more of a broader picture. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's what every Warriors fan, and I think that Warriors administration, Bob Myers and company, are terrified of, is that they're going to let Harrison Barnes go, maybe get 60 to 70 cents on the dollar for him, and he's going to mess around and blossom on somebody else's dime. And I think, you know, you're talking about the number seven pick in the draft, and outside of a couple of dunks on a, a particular group of big men and shining in a few games, let's be clear, Harrison Barnes, even though his 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 marquee value went up in the playoffs, he really only played well in like two games in that Spurs in the in the in the Nuggets series, and he had a couple of decent moments in the in the Spurs series. I mean, it was flashes. It still wasn't anything consistent. And it's crazy how when you have those flashes and they stick so vividly um, in our brain. I mean, I can see Draymond and Bazemore losing their minds on the bench right now when Harrison put that dunk, um, that reverse dunk in the playoffs. In but it's fascinating. Like if it was NBA NBA 2K, I I would. Probably, I could probably come up with 15 different scenarios of maybe moving Clay or moving Barnes or moving Lee just to get cap space or just to get a draft pick or go swing for the fences for someone like Carmelo. And I know he doesn't fit on the roster, but it's a video game. And you can do things like that on a video game. But when it comes to real life, what would you do? Do you need to maybe move those pieces for a Kevin Love? Even though Kevin Love, it, it isn't likely that Kevin Love will sign in the Bay Area, which is insane but you know these are the types of things that they're going to ponder and I think Harrison Barnes when it comes to the playoffs he needs to try to ball out because he's now he's got he's in a position where he needs to play for his next contract whereas I think David Lee uh well David Lee's already secured his contract Kate Clay if he hits the market he's going to be a 10 million a year player which is kind of scary to think about but he's he's going to get 10 million dollars a year and it's going to be up to Golden State to re-sign him or let him go so we'll see and the other thing about Harrison succeeding in the playoffs, and it was it was great and all that, is that a lot of the reason it happened was because they were playing him at the four because Lee got hurt, yep. and the guy and how George Carl reacted to that was by keeping Kenneth Freed on him. And while Kenneth Freed is good at many things, defending perimeter players is absolutely not one of them. And so what happened though is that this year Jackson decided I don't know if it was above him or whatever it was decided in the Warriors organization that they were going to keep trying Harrison at the three, and yep. he could eventually be there. I think defensively that's his position because a lot of the four is like I think about him guarding a guy like Paul Millsap and that would be a problem or obviously even higher guys like Kevin Love but offensively that's his thing and so what if I were the Warriors what I would have done all year and I wrote this at the beginning of the season so it's not revisionist history is try him at the four and just see what works or even that do what I what I said and start him at the three Harrison Barnes is still learning to be an effective basketball player and if I'm Harrison Barnes, I'm just looking at the roster. There's a guy that y'all just signed for $48 million over four years that plays my position. His name is Andre Iguodala. So, like, unless, 
you know, and it's not like I could play the two because you've got Clay Thompson there. So unless eventually you see Andre bump into the three and you're not and you're gonna let Clay Thompson go, which I think Golden State has every intention of keeping Clay there. I never thought playing the four was a really a viable thing. Like I think it works in certain matchups, but to me, since you have long term stability with Iguodala there, and I think like I said before, that the second unit has has never been a strong suit for the Warriors, bump Iggy to the two, let Harrison start. And that way he can play in lineups that will optimally get him the best looks. And if that means that you're playing next to Steph and Steph's going to draw people from 30 feet out, I'm pretty sure there are going to be some times where you're going to get some open looks or some backdoor cuts to the rim. And I think putting him, sticking him on that second unit is, it makes it very difficult for him to do that. I mean, like, like you said, I feel bad for him because I think he went from a very optimal situation to a very unoptimal one. Um, in the span of like nine months with the free agency and the playoffs all happening in the in the way they did. Yeah, it's definitely interesting, and I agree with you that it it is a little bit sad. But I can't let you go without talking, without getting your quick thoughts on the first weekend of the tournament. Oh, boy. Well, as a, as a resident of Oklahoma, it hurt my heart to see Oklahoma take the L to North Dakota bleeping state. It hurt my heart to see Tulsa lose to UCLA, even though I thought thought UCLA was better, but I still thought Tulsa would, would maybe pull that one out. And then it hurt to see Oklahoma State play as poorly in a game that was refereed as poorly as it was against Gonzaga. Now, with that being said, I think that it's a damn shame what happened in the Wichita State-Kentucky game because that's one of the best college basketball games I've ever seen in my life. That game felt like a Final Four game, and we had to get that in the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. And that sucks because Wichita State was as advertised. And my only concern with them playing Kentucky is because Kentucky's talent is so great that if you got Wichita State playing an A game and you got Kentucky playing an A game, that I thought Kentucky would win. And lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. And we got to see that on on a Saturday in the first weekend. Um, Other things that I thought was fun, look, tip of the cap to the Mercer Bears, because anytime Duke can lose uh, in the first round of the tournament will always bring me jubilation and happiness. So I I, I cheers to the the Mercer Bears. Um, Cheers to the Dayton Flyers for being the kings of Ohio, even though everybody in the state of Ohio really doesn't like them, uh, which makes it probably that much more sweet for them as they beat Ohio State. And then we saw Cincinnati and Xavier both lose. Xavier lost in a playing game, and Cincinnati lost to Harvard. Are you kidding me? Harvard? They lost to Harvard. Like, it's incredible. So now we get Dayton and Stanford, all hail the Bay Area, go Cardinal. They're about to meet in the Sweet 16. And the winner of that game, either a 10 or a 12 seed, is going to be a game away from the Final Four, and that's incredible. It's insane and incredible. And so that's that to me, that game, along with the Louisville-Kentucky game in the Sweet 16, I'm really looking forward to watching those games. And I think Arizona is terrifyingly reminding me of like the Miami Heat and their string defense and basically leveraging their defense to turn it into offense. That's basically what Arizona did for the first few games of the tournament. And they took down a very good Gonzaga team and ripped them to shreds. And so Arizona is going to be fun to watch. Danny, I will say I'm looking forward to continuing our Big 12, Pac-12 beef, even though I think it didn't help to see Kansas get beat in the first weekend, as always. But I hate Kansas, so it doesn't matter. But 
I'm interested to see what Iowa State's going to do. Um, I had them going to the Final Four. That was before Georgia Yang got hurt. But I think Iowa State is as good as any team in college basketball, and I think they can still get to the Final Four. Yeah, I, I put a little bit of an asterisk by the Kansas win, as much as it satisfied me to have it be against a Pac-12 team, even though Stanford, as the son of a Cal grad, is not always my favorite school institutionally. Right. Because they were missing Embiid, and he was such an important part of that team. And I, I it was a really weird weekend for me, kind of in that, you want to say, emotional sense, because from a draft perspective, because I'm a draft Nick just as much as I'm a college basketball fan and a pro basketball fan, that to see all of those guys get knocked out early and to see a lot of them get knocked out in a very disheartening fashion, particularly to me, Jabari Parker, because they were sitting Jabari Parker against Mercer. They weren't sitting Jabari Parker because he couldn't defend Julius Randle. They were sitting Jabari Parker because he couldn't defend Mercer. Right. And so to see that was a little bit discouraging, but it's the NCAA tournament. I think the only way to do it is to root and enjoy the chaos. And that makes it so much more fun. And obviously you can have your team or teams, but the silliness of rooting for your bracket, unless you're in the final four and have a billion on the line, obviously that's fine. Not never going to tell anybody not to root for a billion. But I think that what made this weekend so fun was that if you watched it without an agenda, or even if you did, there were a lot of good games and there were a lot of exciting games, whether or not they were actually well-played or well-officiated. Yeah, no, look, like I said, one of the annual traditions is rooting against Duke. And I had Duke going to the Elite Eight. And who cares? They lost to Mercer. My weekend was already made. Kansas lost. I'm from Oklahoma. We say cuck Kansas all the time. So as far as I'm concerned, I was happy to see Kansas lose as well. Didn't matter to me. As soon as your bracket blows up, you can officially start watching the NCAA tournament, like you said, So and enjoying it. So it's all good. This is the reason why we watch college basketball. It sucks because we largely neglect college basketball until we get to this point and it's not to say that we don't watch college basketball but i mean the the level of importance is isn't isn't nearly as high as when we get to this point and to your point about the freshmen and i'll I'll just kind of close on this i thought it was interesting yeah i mean like we did see parker struggle we did see wiggins struggle we did we didn't see mb play um, but if anybody thinks their draft stock is hurt by this, and I'm not saying you said it, but if anybody thinks their draft stock is hurt by this, is probably one of the most foolish things I've ever heard. Just look at the draft last year. Look at Anthony Bennett, who was bounced in the first round by UNLV, and he was egregiously picked first overall. Otto Porter was getting schooled by Florida Gulf Coast in Dunk City in a 215 matchup, and Otto Porter went third. Now, you could argue that hey, maybe though that was a real sign that those players weren't ready based off those games. But I also think that those draft choice selections look really poor compared to how the rest of the class is doing. And I think that this class is still proving to be really talented. And, I, you know, I, there's something to be said about with even with Jabari Parker. He played hard. He just he looks raw. He still looks very raw to me. And, yeah, I think he's still figuring out how to play defense. And, like, they had a better fit for uh, uh, Emil Jefferson to play basically the five because, you know, uh, Mercer's playing a, a four out one in uh, offense and, you know, they're trying to stretch and, you know, they, and they had Jabari Parker trying to guard a six eleven center. Jabari Parker didn't need to be guarding six eleven centers. Like, and there wasn't really anyone else for him to guard. So I, I don't know. I don't, I felt like that was a little bit of a bigger deal than what it was, 
But young fellas, go get your money. Go start your internship with a paid internship in the NBA. Go do what you need to do. You know, I'm excited to see what's going to happen with the Sweet 16 coming up this weekend. I'm looking forward to it, too. Thank you so much for taking the time. I am no problem, my brother. Thanks again to Ed Mazenet for coming on. You can read him at the Sports Fan Journal, where he's the editor-in-chief. You can read him at SB Nation. You can read him in Slam Magazine. You can also follow him on Twitter at EdTheSportsFan. That's E-D-T-H-E-S-P-O-R-T-S-F-A-N. He's a great follow. He's really good presence on social media. And I'm really excited for the next couple weeks. going to actually kind of try to do a couple different things at one time. going to be trying to summarize the season as it finishes the impact of the NCAA tournament and also look forward to the playoffs. So I'm going to try to have varying guests and try to hit multiple topics in the same week. And I am bringing the eliminated series to the podcast in the very near future. If you have suggestions of guests, especially for people on teams that are getting knocked out early. So Lakers, Bucks, Celtics, all of those, I have some guests in mind, but I am always ready, willing, and able to reach out to people that, listeners would think would be good. I, I'd love to have that insight. It's already led to a couple people coming onto my radar. So we'll see how that works out. I really appreciate you listening. I really appreciate you taking the time. And if you want to follow up with me, you can email me at daniel.larue at realgm.com. And you can hit me up on Twitter at Danny LaRue. That's D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X. Positive, negative, anything. It makes the show better. I appreciate it. So thanks, take care, and make it a great day. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. 